What's up, everybody? I'm Nick. I'm here with Ryan and Mark, and we are Bible Dingers. And we have a special guest on the show today. You know, if you've been following us, we have a variety of different guests on the show that hold uh, different beliefs. Today, we have Dr. Stephen Wellam to discuss progressive covenantalism before we get into the new, the new Testament. So, you know, we've been walking book by book through the Bible. We're about to get into the New Testament. So we thought it would be important to hear what Stephen Wellam has to say about progressive covenantalism. So Dr. Stephen J. Wellam is professor of Christian theology at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and editor of the Southern Baptist Journal of Theology. He is the author of God, the Son Incarnate, the Doctrine of Christ, and the author of Christ Alone, the Uniqueness of Jesus as Savior. He is most famous for writing the systematic theology sections in Kingdom Through Covenant, a biblical theological understanding of the covenants. He also has an impressive background in education. Ryan, you want to tell us about that? Yeah, he has a bachelor's from Roberts Wesleyan College, and he also has a master's of divinity and a PhD both from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. So much for being on the show, Dr. Wellam, and I wanted to go ahead and start by seeing if you could just give me a basic, simple, if possible, definition of progressive covenantalism. Yeah, sure. Um, obviously, it's a it's a whole position, but I think if we were to uh, summarize it and and to sort of capsulate, you know, make it into capsule form. Uh, progressive covenantalism would uh, would argue that the Bible presents across you know across redemptive history a plurality of covenants and that that's important so that there's multiple covenants uh, that progressively unfold so we're picking up the term progressive progressive is in the revelation sense it's nothing to do with politics or insurance or anything else uh, it has to do with the unfolding of God's revelation so the Bible presents a plurality of covenants that that unfold that progressively, reveal the triune God's one redemptive plan, right? So God has an eternal plan. Uh, sometimes theologians call that the plan of, of redemption. And uh, this then unfolds in human history, in the economy. And uh, God has this plan through the covenants for his one people. That's very important to see that there's only one people of God that ultimately these covenants reach their fulfillment and end consummation in Christ and uh, and the new covenant, right? And each covenant, uh, and that's the idea of covenantalism, each covenant is important in unfolding the one plan of God. So plurality of covenants unfolding across redemptive history, starting in creation, that's another key point, starting in creation, and then culminating in Christ. So that uh, the emphasis on the progressive is the unfolding revelation. The emphasis on the covenants is that uh, the covenants in Scripture, it's to be similar to covenant theology, but the covenants in Scripture aren't just a unifying theme, but they're the entire backbone to uh, the storyline of the Bible. Uh, they unfold God's plan and uh, they move from Adam ultimately to Christ, uh, move from creation to, uh, to new creation 
And so that's the basic sense of what progressive covenantalism is. And then there's specific areas that would distinguish it from other views within evangelicalism, dispensationalism, and covenant theology, primarily on uh, how the covenants fit with the role of Israel and what the church is. And maybe we can pick up that later. But that that's just a place to start with in terms of what progressive covenantalism is. Okay, well, so you've mentioned the plurality of covenants. And before we move on to more questions, uh, I wanted to ask if you could give us your definition, and I guess consequently the progressive covenantal definition of a covenant. Of a biblical covenant. Yeah, right. I mean, a, a covenant would be, um, you know, God entering into relationship and making promises. That God is the uh, promise maker and the promise keeper. He enters into relationship with us and obligations that result. So a relational um, a relationship is established, promises made, obligations kept. And often in biblical covenants, not always, but often in biblical covenants, there's some kind of ratification procedure. And that that's often how covenants are understood. But uh, not every covenant has a ratification, right? Married, marriage is certainly a covenant. There's there's no sense of ratification in Genesis 2, we're told. Uh, the Davidic covenant doesn't seem to have a specific ratification as you would have with the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 15 or with the Old Covenant, Mosaic covenant. So normally there's some you know, uh, inauguration, ratification of it. So God, the covenant God entering into relationship with his people, uh, making promises, we uh, uh, devoting our life to him, uh, and then various blessings and obligations and curses that then come with disobedience to the covenant. So that, that's the uh, basic idea of a covenant, not much different than there would be with um, other forms of Christian theology. Awesome. Thank you, Dr. Willem. The, the next question is, while most conservative theologians talk about the covenant with Adam as a covenant of works, my pastor claims that it is the initial covenant of faith that flows through the whole of, of Scripture with covenant renewals. How do you view this? Well, I think, that I, I think we would say that's something very similar. Um, I would want to ask... A little bit, and uh, and I think Nick is there, right? So, um, you know, initial covenant of faith. I'm not. Yeah, I want some specificity as to that. I mean, I guess every covenant relationship involves faith and trust, and mm -hmm. and uh, you know, relationship with with the true and living God. So, in that sense, I guess we can call it a covenant of faith. That's that's a different term than usually is used, but I'm I'm happy with that. But I do think that. Um, uh, this idea of, of starting with um, creation with Adam and moving to Christ is so crucial. And this is where uh, progressive covenantalism is going to part company with many forms of dispensational theology. Uh, dispensational theology, uh, there are a few people, Lewis Berry Schaefer and others, who argued for an endemic covenant, some kind of covenant representation, but it's pretty rare and uh, mostly with dispensational theology, you know, they'll acknowledge uh, a covenant with Noah. They usually don't even argue for a covenant in creation. And then they make everything the Abrahamic promise uh, through the nation of Israel all the way to, to the new covenant. So the, the covenant of works within covenant theology would be very similar to what uh, progressive covenantalism would say. 
uh, Adam is presented as the head of the human race. God has entered into covenant relationship with him. Now, uh, we don't use, we're not against the language of covenant of works, uh, but it can miscommunicate if you're not careful. So there's theological truths that we affirm from the standard treatment of the covenant of works. That doesn't necessarily mean that uh, we can find it actually in the text. So the basic idea of covenant of works is Adam is the covenant head. He is called to represent the human race. He is, he is in a state of probation. He's not in a glorified state. He must obey and uh, show covenant loyalty, covenant devotion. And uh, if he does so, there theoretically, hypothetically, there would be some kind of, of glorification by the work of the Spirit and so on. And of course, he doesn't, and thus there needs to then be the covenant of grace. We, we, we basically would affirm much of that with creation, yet uh, we think a covenant of creation is a bit richer. Um, it's a bit... Um, more robust than just simply uh, in, in covenant of works. They have the idea that God creates everything and then subsequent to creation, he enters into covenant relationship with Adam. And then you have the command in Genesis 2. Uh, we, we're not against that, but I think the very creation of humans uh, is entering into covenant relationship. We would take um, unlike the Sabbath um, uh, creation ordinance of covenant theology, we would take the rest as God entering into enjoyment with what he has made on the seventh day, an ongoing relationship that then is distorted by sin. And that relationship between Adam and the human race then runs right through the Bible. So Christ is last, Adam. The two most important uh, people of the whole Bible uh, are the first Adam and last Adam. And everybody is a subset under one of those. And so the rest of the covenants that flow from, whether it's Noahic, Abrahamic, Old, uh, Davidic, all the way to Christ, uh, they are in some sense a subset of what Adam is to be in a fleshing out in more detail of the human role of being image bearers, ruling over the world, but a failed rule in terms of Adam and then the human race. So that, that would be Sort of some of the areas. So I, I guess I would agree with uh, Nick here. It flows through the whole scripture. Covenant renewals. Uh, we, we could talk about what that actually means. I mean, I, I'm not sure if it's just a renewal of it. It's possible. That's that's not a bad way of thinking of it. Um, it's 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 unfolding, right? So if renewal means in our thinking, it's adding to. It's uh, it's, it, it's unfolding and and progressing the covenant, the uh, plan of God. So that we see more clearly who God is, who we are by the progress of revelation through the covenants, more and more revelation is given to us. So the covenants not only are real relationships between God and his people, but they are also revelation, right? They're revelation of, of um, our problem, the revelation of what God demands from us, revelation of himself. Uh, and, and that's very important to just, you know, say as well. Okay, so Dr. Willem, uh, speaking about uh, important people in the Bible, uh, when we talk about this topic, uh, we need to talk about the people of Israel. So in progressive covenantalism, uh, where does Israel fit into this? Yeah, well, Israel obviously has a very, very important uh, place. And, and what's crucial is, is Israel, right, as a nation, right, shows up in, in what we call the Mosaic or in light of the new covenant, the old covenant, right? But the Mosaic covenant, Torah, law covenant, and so on, number of names given to, to the old covenant. But you cannot, and this is the idea of the progress of the covenants, 
you can't understand Israel as a nation apart from Abraham. And so you have to go back now to what preceded it. And it's very, very important when you read Scripture. Scripture is an unfolding revelation. So it's building on what preceded it. So we don't start in Exodus. We start in Genesis, right? Uh, the Pentateuch, right, is, is a whole volume. And uh, we don't start uh, in Exodus 19, Exodus 20. The nation of Israel, Exodus 19.6, right, is this holy nation. Well, that's an advance. <clears throat> on the Abrahamic covenant. God promises Abraham that he will have a seed and that he will out of him will come a holy nation uh, that will eventually will bring forth the seed of the woman from Genesis 3.15. So Israel is God's corporate son, the son of God. Uh, they're the corporate son. They're an endemic corporate figure who is to bring rule to the world um, and uh, through them uh, Messiah will come and and not just Messiah will come but there is all kinds of instruction and revelation of of God's demand and who he is and what sin is and provision and how ultimately the work of Christ will be uh, enacted uh, and who it is that comes to redeem us so Israel is crucial in bringing forth Messiah uh, it's a corporate Adam in that sense. Yet we have to then see that Israel under her covenant is not the same as the church. Um, the covenant is made with a whole people, a whole nation, and that nation had within it uh, a believing uh, people and an unbelieving people. There are many in Israel uh, who did not believe the promises of God. Uh, and so they're what we call a mixed community, and they anticipate ultimately from them, and this is why the Davidic covenant becomes so crucial, uh, the true Israel uh, in the, as an individual is the Davidic king. And the Davidic king who takes on priestly notions and prophetic notions will be the one who will stand as Israel, the true Israel, which ultimately reaches fulfillment in Christ. And Christ then has a church, a people. That is from every tribe, nation, people, and tongue. So the future of Israel as an ethnic people is found in faith in Christ and the church. It's not found, uh, in our view, uh, in terms of a separate national nation that will be restored in the future as a nation. That That's dispensational theology. I kind of wanted to build on that specifically uh, in regards to all of the covenants in the Old Testament. Do they all have to be connected, or can they be separate? So, for instance, I think I'm I'm thinking of the Noahic covenant. Is that connected to also the Abrahamic and Mosaic and etc.? Yeah, well, we we argue they are. Um, we argue that there's one plan, and it's through the covenants. And so each covenant contributes to the unfolding of that one plan. So then we have to then step back and say. All right, how do they each do that? The Noahic Covenant has been hugely neglected, and it's so, so important, right? So what's 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 going on with Adam and creation? Well, it's a creation covenant. What do we mean by creation covenant? It's made with Adam and the entire human race. He represents all people. All people are in Adam. Um, given human sin, and there's a distinction then in Scripture between Genesis 1 and 2 and Genesis 3, sadly, that there's a pre-fall, post-fall the post-fall situation brings about not only God's promise that he will not leave sin to have the final word, he will provide a seed of the woman uh, who will bring uh, deliverance, another Adam kind of figure as you work through scripture. Uh, 
but there's also then the two two seed issue. There's people of faith, there's people of God, and, and not Cain and Abel and Seth and so on. And and as you get to the Noahic covenant, sin is so bad that God wipes away uh, the entire human race. And and what you have in Noah is Adam again. Uh, you have uh, the new start, but with the Noahic covenant. It's not just, you know, a new start uh, in terms of creation, but there's promises here. God's not going to keep wiping away the human race. Out of the Noahic covenant, we have very, very important truths that there's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. Uh, there's the two kingdoms. There's the people of God and there's the people who stand opposed to God. And God is going to keep until the end of the age. Um, he's going to keep both together. I mean, this is what makes sense in the New Testament. Christ comes and inaugurates the kingdom and the new creation. So why why is there not consummation yet? Well, uh, his people have not all come to saving faith. There is the Noahic covenant still in place. The Noahic covenant provides the creation structures uh, that uh, continue to this day, marriage, giving in marriage, sanctity of human life, government, and so on. So out of that, right, there is the creation order, the anticipation uh, with the Noahic covenant that God will bring a new creation. Uh, yet it then gets narrowed through what we say the redemptive covenants. I mean, they're all part of the one plan, but through Abraham, how will this you know, be how will sin be defeated and uh, everything restored through this one man, his seed, this nation, this king. Uh, and now we're walking through Abrahamic, Mosaic, Davidic, that ultimately in the prophets anticipate the coming of the Lord and the king uh, in the new covenant. Thank you. Uh, the next question is, what is the relationship between the old covenant and the new covenant? And what makes the new covenant new? Yeah, well, I mean, um, for the most part, when you get to Hebrews and you get to the New Testament, there's the direct contrast between the old and the new. Uh, in our view, obviously, um, you don't just say that, right? You have to also factor in, as Galatians does, Galatians 3 and 4, the Abrahamic, and you also have to take it back as Romans 5, 1 Corinthians 15, back to Adam, right? So if we then just look at old covenant, new covenant, just without isolating them. We have to be very careful that we just don't rip them out of their redemptive historical context and try to understand them in that context, right? Uh, the old covenant, right, is is given to, um, you know, the nation of Israel, right? It's mediated, I would say, through Moses initially, and then various uh, leaders, uh, prophets, priests, and kings. Uh, the nation of Israel functions in the storyline, right, to bring forth Messiah, right, to bring forth the seed uh, and through them, blessing will come to to the world. So with the old covenant, you have it corporate. You have it to the nation of Israel. Uh, they are the means by which Messiah comes. It's a, it's a mediated covenant. Uh, mostly, it's um, uh, you have leaders, leaders empowered by the Spirit. The prophets uh, speak by the Spirit to the people. Uh, uh, the priests act on their behalf. Uh, the kings, eventually, as you have the kings arise, they, they act on behalf of the leadership, the shepherds of Israel. And uh, it's it's a mixed covenant. 
so that uh, it has within it you and your children, going back to, a- to Abraham, I mean, you have believers, unbelievers, ideally, they would all be believers, but they're not. And so you have a mixed uh, community, and all of that now points forward to the coming of Christ, who brings the new covenant and a new community. The new community will be in continuity, the church will be in continuity with the people of God of all ages. Yet the new covenant is new in that Christ as its head is its sole mediator. And and in relation to him, there is no prophet, priest, king mediation other than through Christ, the one mediator, right? So uh, we don't have special prophets in the church. We don't have special priestly functions. We don't have special kings. Uh, It's democratized in that sense. We are all those who have the spirit. All are transformed. The old covenant people as a mixed community was not a transformed community in terms of the entirety, but the new covenant anticipates a people who will know God, who will have the forgiveness of sins. And, and, And at the heart of the new covenant, Jeremiah 31, 34, is the full forgiveness of sins or what we would call justification. So that uh, in the previous covenants in the old, they brought forgiveness mediated through those covenants, but it was only uh, pointing forward to the full uh, righteousness of Christ, the full sacrifice of Christ, the full substitutionary atonement work of Christ. Uh, So people were declared just and right under the old covenant, but the new covenant brings the full forgiveness of sins, justification, and so on, and it transforms people, and uh, the mediation of it is through Christ to his people. Those are some of the differences of the new with uh, with the old. Uh, and uh, the, old, the new, then, is bound up with uh, the church. The church will have continuity with the people of God of old, but it's ultimately uniquely tied to God's new covenant people centered now in Christ. Awesome. So, uh, Dr. Willem, I think we just want to clear up some confusion. Uh, So, since progressive covenantalism focuses on covenants, how is it then seen as a middle ground between dispensationalism and covenant theology? Yeah, I mean, when when Peter Gentry and I wrote Kingdom Through Covenant, we, we cast it as a kind of middle ground. Uh, we, we got a lot of heat from this, from moner, monergism. They, they went ballistic and, um, you know, they, we use, we use the term via media, which, you know, we were just saying middle ground. We were trying to be clever. Uh, and they, they read into that Roman Catholic and liberalism and everything else. It's, it's, it was a sad, sad case to see how they read a book. But um, when we say it's a, a middle ground, we're just simply saying that you know, in in um, evangelical theology, Protestant, you know, uh, coming out of the Reformation, Protestant theology, particularly evangelical theology, there's dominant uh, biblical theological systems, and what we mean by that is is whole views uh, that understand how uh, Genesis to Revelation works, uh, how the storyline unfolds, how the covenants un, 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 get unpacked. And do, the dominant positions are dispensational theology with its varieties. It's not just one thing, but with its varieties and covenant theology, Reformed covenant. And even in Reformed covenant theology, there's a lot of family similarities, but there's also you know huge huge fights and squabbles within the within the viewpoint as well. So what we were doing as we laid out uh, progressive covenantalism is we said we're not either dispensational or classic, 
you know, Pado Baptist covenant, Reformed covenant theology. We're somewhere, you know, in the middle in the sense that there are certain things that we would say dispensationalism is correct on. So, you know, dispensationalism uh, tries to um, do justice to the newness of the church and so on, but we don't see the newness the way they do. We see it as redemptive, historically new. Covenant theology tends to make Israel just the same as the church or the church just simply the expression of Israel. Now, there's some variation. Greg Beadle and others will modify that uh, slightly. So we just saw ourselves as saying uh, we're acting in the middle of these positions, saying, and, and in some sense, trying to arbitrate them, right? Uh, we're not satisfied with people just having multiple viewpoints. We're tired of four views books, as, as good as they may be, uh, three views, four views on this. Uh, but we're trying to say, what does Scripture say? Can't, how do we arbitrate these theological differences between these views, trying to show where dispensationalism goes uh, strong but goes awry, where uh, covenant theology we believe is correct but also we don't think is totally correct, and that's how we set and cast our view as a kind of middle position, right? Uh, it's it's really um, it's really a tweaking of and modification of more covenant theology in the very term progressive covenantalism signifies that, right? It's We don't call it progressive dispensationalism. Uh, it's, a, it's a progressive covenantalism. But, uh, but there's differences between each of the main dominant systems, and that's how it functions as a kind of middle position. Hmm. Got it. <clears throat> so, Dr. Wellam, you mentioned that you guys kind of tweaked things and found this middle ground between dispensationalism and covenant theology. So that leads me to ask you the question is there any early early church fathers that held to progressive covenantal theology well to ask it to ask it that way is i think uh to not ask the right question right <laughs> i mean in the sense of if you're asking um you know in the early church did they hold to the full definition of justification by grace through faith as in the reformation then you would have to say well no they didn't um, yet, uh, the idea of uh, what they understood as salvation and our rightness before God is similar to what the Reformers will pick up, but it was never formulated in that way. So we have to be very, very careful that we, we have to find our, our theological view one for one, right? They're in, in the unfolding of historical theology, there's, there's greater clarity that comes as people reflect upon Scripture and so on. Now, with that said, so what that's saying is I, I don't know anybody in the early church who would say, oh, I, I, this is the same as progressive covenantalism. I'm not sure there's anybody in the early church that would hold to dispensationalism or covenant theology. Covenant theology is really a post-Reformation phenomena, comes into its own uniquely there. Now, are there are there links with previous people in the history of the church to say something similar? Sure. Uh, can you find, you know, premillennialism and everything else with dispensationalism, you know, in the early church? Sure. But uh, they become late as, as well. But what we would say is... Um, you know, everyone has to wrestle with whether that's in the early church or Middle Ages or Reformation and, and then the theological systems. They have to wrestle with how you move from uh, Adam to Christ, how you uh, – so you think about Irenaeus in the early church. Uh, he clearly saw that the Bible uh, was laying out the first man and the last Adam. Now, how he put that together, you know, the legal categories aren't there and so on, so we have to, you know, 
correct him in terms of scripture. Um, yet, you know, everyone is saying Christ is the fulfillment. Christ brings the new covenant. The end of the road of uh, God's plan is Christ and the new covenant and the inauguration of the new age and the consummation of that. So that basic structure is uh, everywhere in the history of the church, right? So um, then, then it's a matter of saying, well, what are the specifics, right? So what exactly is the church? What exactly is the role of the covenants in this regard, and so on? So uh, I would say you start to see the, you know, the something similar to a progressive covenantalism, probably in the post-Reformation uh, Baptistic era, right? I mean, a lot of the 1689 guys in in their uh, 1689 federalism, we wouldn't say it just like they do, yet they're basically uh, saying something similar, right? Start with Adam, move to Christ, the covenants ultimately are a revelation that reaches the coming of the new covenant. Now they want to identify the new covenant with the covenant of grace, that theological term, we, we don't see the need to do that. So, so, but you know, we're, 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 we're building off of more of the Baptistic uh, differences between Israel church. And that comes in the, you know, Reformation, post-Reformation era, but there's precursors. You go back and read Irenaeus, you go back and read uh, Augustine. I mean, they see how the, the Bible works. They see the storyline, right? The rule of faith. Uh, we talk about the rule of faith in the church, the rule of faith at the, at the heart of it. Think of the Apostles' Creed uh, is just following the shape of Scripture. Uh, creation, God who's the creator, maker of heaven and earth, all the way to Christ and the consummation. Well, that's what we're arguing. And then now, putting specifics to it in light of various debates and, and, and statements and so on. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show, Dr. Wellam. I, I'm Nick, by the way, and I'm a, I'm a huge fan of your work, and I love your ministry. Thank you so much for getting on. Well, my my delight, and um, uh, hopefully that may that was clear and, and to understand the position. And, and ultimately, we want as Christians, right, to know the whole counsel of God, right? And it's our conviction, and this wouldn't be different than others, but it's our conviction that uh, unless you get the Bible right on its own terms and how God has laid out his plan for us step by step from creation to Christ, from through the covenants, you know, we'll make theological mistakes and we want to be faithful to God's word. We want to see how all of it uh, is the unfolding of his plan centered in the coming of the Lord Jesus. And uh, that's our desire. And um, uh, so uh, hopefully that will help to that end to make us, uh, you know, better Bible readers and also those who glory in Christ. Awesome. And if our listeners want to know a little bit more about you, where can they go online to find out more about your ministry? Well, they can go to uh, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. So uh, the best place would go to my faculty page, you know, SBTS, so Southern Baptist Theological Seminary dot edu. And uh, you can then find that and then get a hold of me, my emails, you know, you can contact me that way as well. Uh, I haven't, uh, I haven't, uh, I haven't ventured all into every aspect of social media, probably. Um, so, so I'm not everything on there, but, uh, you know, emails and get a touch with me. That's, that's the, that's the best way. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks, Dr. Very Long. good. Okay. Very good. Uh, you guys have a great day. You too. Awesome. Thank we'll you. Thank you. Thank you.